Ye heard the word of the truth. And of course, folks, the word of truth is a reference to what? The word of God. The word of God. What we find in the word of God, in the gospel, is a commanding salvation. Church, listen to me. The gospel is not an option. The gospel is not something to be considered. The gospel is a commanding gospel. No less than 10 times in the, in the New Testament, the gospel is commanded. This is the Divine Truth Podcast, a ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church in beautiful Central Virginia. This podcast is for the purpose of teaching God's people through the verse-by-verse exposition live from the pulpit of Emmanuel Baptist Church. We pray that the Word of God richly blesses you as you hear it proclaimed. Ephesians chapter 1. Beginning in verse number 12, this is the word of God, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we ask you now that you would teach us your truth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Two months after the terrorist attack on September 11th, 2001, former President Bill Clinton gave a speech at George Washington University, where he said this, quote, nobody's got the truth. You are at a university which basically believes that no one ever has the whole truth, ever. We are incapable of ever having the whole truth, end quote. That is the idea, folks, of our society And unfortunately, that is an idea that over the years has really crept into the church, the churches that call themselves evangelical. The idea is that truth is relative. Truth is fluid. Dogmatism on biblical truth is not part of political correctness. And therefore, being dogmatic about anything must be stopped. And once a church begins to head down that path, momentum takes over. Charles Haddon Spurgeon from 1887 to 1888 was involved in what became known as the downgrade controversy. And the downgrade controversy involved his church, the Metropolitan Tabernacle, and which ultimately caused them to leave the Baptist Union in London. Spurgeon accused other Baptists of having downgraded their view of the Bible. And and as a result, downgrading their view of the Bible, they consequently fell into doctrinal error. Doctrinal error on the deity of Christ, doctrinal error on the atonement of Jesus Christ, and other things. And Spurgeon spent the last four years of his life at war against the early trends of modernism. 
Modernism, just to kind of give you a reference, modernism is the belief that all quote-unquote truth must be interpreted in the light of science and modern philosophy and any other type of social ideas. Spurgeon saw that as a threat to biblical Christianity. And when this movement first hit was on the authority and the inerrancy of the Scripture. Because you see, folks, Spurgeon did not see this movement as something that the church needed to flirt with. And neither should we. You've got all kinds of churches out there today, folks, that are flirting with modernism, that are flirting with postmodernism, that are flirting with changing the message of God's Word. That's why you have churches ordaining to the clergy those from the LGBTQ plus community because those churches are willing to compromise on the truth of God's word. And Spurgeon, way back in the 19th century, saw this as a, as a threat to the church. And Spurgeon said this in The Sword and the Trowel, which was a magazine, a paper that he published. He said, quote, Biblical truth is like the pinnacle of a steep, slippery slope one step away on either side, and you find yourself on the downgrade. And once a church, he said, or an individual, Christian, gets on the downgrade, momentum takes over, and recovery is very, very unusual. Being a chaplain with the Louisa County Sheriff's Department has taught me a lot of things over the last year and a half. And being a chaplain with the Sheriff's Department, I am required... Uh, to take a modified police academy. Can you, Bonnie, can you imagine that? Your pastor has got a gun. And what's worse yet, he's not afraid to use it. And what's worse yet, he's trained to use it. But anyway, he has to, I have to take a modified police academy that lasts about 14 weeks. We have to take classes on law, take classes on how to drive cars. Yeah, I get to drive the cruisers wildly. That's the best thing about being a police officer is that you get to drive fast on the wrong side of the road. Well, that depends on what deputy you're with. But anyway, while in this class, we were talking about... (laughs) When am I on the road? Only once a month, and I'm not the one driving. You're okay. I'm just doing a ride along once a month. While in that class... This past week, in fact, we were talking about different aspects of the law. And someone in the class, and I will not name names to protect the guilty, somebody in that class said this, well, interpreting the law is like interpreting the Bible. It is up to each person's point of view. I sent my wife a text and I said, well, I did it again. She said, what did you do? And I told her what they said. She said, did you let it go? I said, what do you think? Well, immediately I spoke up and said, but the Bible has only one interpretation, to which they fired back real quick, what's Bible, Pastor? And I said, the Holy Bible. And I said, not only does the Holy Bible only have one interpretation, but I said Christianity is the only true religion and the Bible is the only source of real spiritual truth. But that's the mentality of our society. 
And that's the mentality, if we're not careful, creeps into the church. And it has crept into the church. We have traded biblical truth for sermonettes that don't confront man's basic need. Listen, folks, man's basic need is not to overcome worry. You go on the website of your your typical postmodern seeker-sensitive church right here in Louisa County, and you listen and you watch and you look at their sermon titles. They have titles of how to overcome worry, how to get over financial freedom, how to lose weight. Now, folks, listen, all those things may be important in their context, but man's basic need is not how to overcome worry. Man's basic need is not about having financial freedom. Not man's basic need is not about being skinny. Man's basic need is to be made right with his creator. That is the heart of the issue. But you have churches that have traded that for sermonettes about how to overcome worry, how to get out of debt, how to lose weight. Or the pastor of the church is more of a comedian than he is an expositor. And this type of mentality, folks, affects the gospel. This section that we've been studying on Ephesians is, our, is, really, a, is really, I believe, Paul's ba- uh, battle cry. It's his battle cry to draw the church back into what is the true gospel. We looked last week with the first point that we looked at salvation is a circumscribed salvation, meaning that it is narrow. It is not inclusive, it is exclusive. That salvation, that the gospel is not about just by one source, but the gospel is about the claims of that one source, that Jesus Christ is not only the Savior of all those who would believe, but that those who truly are born from above and whose hearts have been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, He is their Lord. If Jesus Christ is not your master, He is is not your Savior. There is no salvation, but Lordship salvation. Paul said in Romans 9, that except you receive the Jesus Christ as Lord, you shall not be saved. You look through all the New Testament and Savior and Lord, the two offices cannot be divided. Jesus said that nobody can come and be my disciple unless they're willing to do what, church? potentially give up everything that they own to embrace me. Jesus says that no man can come to me if he puts his hand to the plow and looks back. He cannot be my disciple. You see, folks, the gospel, the salvation, Paul says in verse 12, that we trusted in Christ. What does all that mean? It means that he is not only your Savior, but he is also your Lord. He is your master, and you obey what he says. Jesus says, don't tell me that you love me if you don't what? if you don't do what I tell you to do. Don't tell me that you love me if you don't obey my commandments. Because salvation is Jesus not only a Savior, but salvation is Jesus as Lord. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9 that no man can come after me unless he does three things. He denies himself, which means saying no to yourself and saying yes to the commands of Jesus Christ. Take up your cross daily, which means what? Listen, church, when Jesus said take up your cross daily, the apostles would have understood that as one thing. You better be willing to die for me if I require it. 
Take up your cross daily and then follow me. Brother Ben did a wonderful Sunday school lesson today on the persecuted church and what it means to be persecuted. And one of the things that is real to the, needs to be real to the church is there very well may become a day, Brother Ben, where Jesus Christ will ask you to lay down your life for me. Are you going to do it? He says that you better, in Luke 14, he says you better count the cost. Don't be like that man that tried to build a tower, but because he didn't count the cost, he didn't have enough money to finish it, and everybody began to mock him. Don't be like that general who, who, who was going to go to war, and he didn't have enough men to win the battle. Jesus says, count the cost. Listen, church, the gospel, when Paul says in verse 12, who first trusted in Christ, the gospel is trusting in Christ. It is a circumscribed salvation. It is a narrow salvation. It is an exclusive salvation, not inclusive. You can come to Christ and bring your baggage with you. You need to leave your baggage, your sin, at the foot of the cross and follow Christ. You can pray all you want. You can be baptized all you want. You can join any church you want. But if you pray a prayer and then you pick up that baggage of sin and you walk with it, you are not a Christian. Because it is an exclusive gospel, not inclusive. You can't come through that narrow gate and bring your suitcase with you that has all your bags of tricks, that has all your sins. You lay those sins at the gate and walk and follow Christ. That is what it means to be a Christian. Do you sin? Yes. You sin repeatedly? Yes. But the desire of your heart is to be an obedient follower of Jesus Christ and to do whatever he tells you to do. Folks, listen. When Paul says you first trusted Christ, he was speaking about his circumscribed salvation. But number two, it's not only a circumscribed salvation, it is a commanding salvation. It is a commanding salvation. It is not only limited in that it's limited to one source, Jesus Christ, but it is also limited and where we get truth. Look at verse 13. It's a commanding gospel. In whom, he says in verse 13, in whom ye also trusted. After that, ye heard the word of the truth. Keep going. Look at verse 13 again. Wichita will get up here on the screens eventually. Keep going. Very good. Verse 13. In whom also ye trusted, after what? Ye heard the word of the truth. And of course, folks, the word of truth is a reference to what? The word of God. The word of God. What we find in the word of God, in the gospel, is a commanding salvation. Church, listen to me. The gospel is not an option. The gospel is not something to be considered. The gospel is a commanding gospel. No less than 10 times in the, in the New Testament, the gospel is commanded. In fact, Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2, and saying what? Repent ye. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark chapter 1 and verse 15, and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, then Peter said unto them, repent. Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, repent. Uh, Acts chapter 8 and verse 22, repent. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5, at the end of the verse, repent. 
Revelation chapter 2 and verse 16, repent. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 3, repent. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 19, repent. You get the idea? And in all those verses, every one of those words, repent, are in the imperative mood in the Greek, which is the mood of a command. That is why, church, we say that the gospel is a commanding gospel. Salvation is commanded, and it is commanded from the Scriptures. Listen, salvation can only be obtained by hearing the gospel given from the Word of God. There is no salvation without the Word of God. That's why Paul, that's why Paul says in chapter 1, verse 13, After that ye heard the word of truth. Notice what Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then faith cometh by what? And hearing by what? The word of God. The psalmist said in Psalm 19 verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect. Doing what? Converting the soul. The testimonies of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. In Psalm chapter 119, verse 105, the psalmist says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 119, 130, The entrance of thy words giveth life. It giveth understanding to the simple. In John chapter 20 and verse 31, But these are written that ye, talking about the word of God, that ye might what? Believe. There is no salvation, church, apart from a clear presentation of the word of God. Acts chapter 4, verse 4. Howbeit many of them which heard the what? Word did what? Believed. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of what? Preaching to save them that believe. And folks, listen, we must be diligent as God's church not to become, not to give over ourselves to a man-centered gospel. By using man-centered means of bringing people to Christ. We bring people to Christ not by getting on a platform and having smoke and fire coming out of the platform and having people dance and shimmy up on the platform. We bring people to the Lord Jesus Christ by giving them the Word of God. Because without the Word of God, there is no salvation. We have no message. We have no message without the Word of God. We have no salvation without the Word of God. In 2 Chronicles chapter 34, there was a godly young boy at the age of eight years old began to rule the nation of Jerusalem. His name was Josiah. And the Bible says of Josiah in 2 Chronicles chapter 34 and verse 2 that he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And throughout all of his reign, if you look at 2 Chronicles 34, verses 4 through 5, he began, I'm going to read it all to you for sake of time, but it's on the screen. He began to break down all the images of Baal, all the high places, all the carved images, all the molten images, and he began to break them in pieces. And he began to burn the bones of the priests upon the altar. I mean, Josiah was going to do a clean sweep. Not only did he destroy the images of Baal, but he destroyed the prophets of Baal, which is exactly what God's people do, isn't it? Josiah wanted no remnant of idol worship in Judah. And the Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 34 and verse 7, And when he had broken down the altars and the groves and had beaten the graven images and the powder, I can just see that in my mind, and cut down all the idols throughout all the land of Israel, he returned to Jerusalem. And in the process of them cleaning up everything, they came to the house of the Lord. 
In 2 Chronicles chapter 34 and verse 14, And when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found a book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. And Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law where? It is a disaster indeed, folks, when the word of God has been lost in the church. That is a sad state of affairs. When you walk into a church and the word of God has been lost and the word of God has been replaced by idols. Listen, you and I might not worship a golden image. You and I might not worship a rock. You and and I might not worship a graven image. But listen, when the church gives itself over to entertainment and man-made efforts to bring people to Christ and have prostituted and obliterated the Word of God, we are guilty as the same thing that the people in the southern tribes were guilty of. We may not be worshiping a rock, but we're worshiping ourselves. And the Word of God is lost in the church because we can't see the Word of God for ourselves. In Judah, the book of the law was there, but it was hidden because of all the man-made idols. And in many churches, Scripture may be read, but cannot be heard because of all the man-made idols around it. In the form of entertainment and in the form of bad theology, Paul told the Ephesians that after you trusted, you, that you, after you heard the word of God, the word of truth. The message of the gospel given in the word of God, church, must not be altered, does it? Must not be altered to fit the demands and whims of a godless society. The gospel is a commanding salvation, and it is through the means of the word of God. Not only must we get the gospel right, but we must get the gospel source Right, and we must have confidence in this book if we're going to trust what it says. Because if you are not convinced that the Word of God is completely true and authoritative on all levels, then everything else will be brought into question. And it will suck the conviction right out of your life. If you don't start with the Word of God being absolutely authoritative and absolutely true and absolutely our only source of truth. The Bible is true from Genesis to Revelation. It is the verbal, plenary, infallible, inerrant word of the living God. And any time we trust in anything other than this, to put it as Grandpa said, we run amok. Right? We run amok. And the church has done nothing but become A harlot. I'm going to give you five words this morning. And I'm going to try to go quickly. I've only got an hour left. Boy, y'all shaking y'all's head. I preach Easter Sunday till one o'clock. Y'all know I'm not above it. He said, yeah, and I'm not above walking out either. I'm going to give you five words this morning that describe the Bible. And I forgot to make slides on these words, so you'll have to write them down. So I'm not going to be able to put them on the screen. I forgot to do it. Uh, Or or Zachary forgot to do it. I want to give you five words that describe the Bible. Now keep in mind what Paul said to the church at Ephesus. After that ye heard, you trusted Christ. After you did what? 
He heard the word of truth. And if we're going to see the Scripture as completely sufficient, we must understand these five things about the Scripture. Number one, objectivity. They're all going to begin, they're all going to end with I-T-Y. That's my efforts at alliteration today. Objectivity. What do you mean by that, Pastor? The Word of God is an objective book. Authentic Christianity, folks, starts with the premise that the source of truth is outside of us. Truth is not subjective, meaning that truth is not inside me. We are not the ones that determine the truth. The gospel starts with Christ and continues with what the Word of God says about Christ. The Bible is an objective truth, meaning the truth is outside of us and is found in one volume, and that is the Holy Bible. It's an objective truth. It is true whether or not it speaks to you subjectively or, or, or not. It is still truth. It is true irregardless, church, of how anyone feels about it. You may not like what the Bible says. Guess what? The, guess where the problem lies? You. Because whether you like it or not, whether you want to believe it or not, the Bible is true. The Bible is true universally with no exceptions. In fact, Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. This contradicts the basic presupposition that governs most people's thinking. I see I did do those slides, but I'm better than I thought I was. This contradicts the basic presupposition that governs most, people think, most people's thinking. Postmodernism is the world that we live in today. And postmodernism teaches, modernism taught that truth can only be explained through science and philosophy. Postmodernism says there can be no objective truth. You have your truth, I have my truth. And it does not matter whether each, whether or not the truths that we have contradict each other. Everyone's truth in our society today, everyone's truth is equally accepted as valid. And if anyone has the temerity to stand up and say that there is only one truth, they are labeled as unloving and narrow. And if anyone says that, that they have the only truth, they are labeled as arrogant. And if anyone says that any truth that contradicts God's word is wrong, they are labeled as dis divisive. And this way of thinking has flushed its way into the church. The world tells us that we, are, that we are not to think our beliefs, the things that we believe are necessarily valid for anyone else. No theological position is deemed right or wrong. What I believe is valid for me and what you believe is valid for you doesn't matter if they contradict each other. You have your truth, I have my truth. Skepticism has been enthroned and consecrated while confident faith has been banished and demonized. Church, in our postmodern world, we can be certain of one thing, and that is that we can't be certain of anything. That's what our society teaches. You can only be certain of one thing, and that is that you can't be certain of anything. To hold strong convictions about anything other than your own inability to discover truth is deemed intolerant and evil by our postmodern world. And since absolute objective truth is unknowable, there is no need to combat false notions of the truth. If you have your truth and I have my truth, then I'm wasting my time combating false doctrine. You have your truth, I have mine. And the reality, folks, listen, 
that it is not arrogant to say that I know the truth. That's not arrogant. For me to tell you when I get up in the pulpit to preach that I know and I have the truth. Let me tell you something. If I stand before you and I say, I don't, I, I don't know that I got it right, somebody else better come and preach. It is not arrogant to say that I have and I believe the truth. What is arrogant is thinking that you can make up the truth on the fly. That's what's arrogant. And civilization, folks, is in serious trouble when people think that they can reimagine and reinterpret everything subjectively or inside of themselves. And the result is that each person determines what is right in their own eyes. Wasn't that the problem with the nation of Israel? Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 8, Yet shall not do after all these things that we do here this day, every man whatsoever is right in his what? Own eyes. Judges chapter 17 and verse 6, Every man did that which was what? Right in his own eyes. Judges chapter 21 and verse 25. In those days was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 15. The way of a fool is what? Right in his own eyes. In Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 2. Every way of man is right in his own eyes, but it is the Lord that ponders the heart. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12. There is a way that seemeth what? Right unto a man, but the end thereof is the way of what? And even in the church, being dogmatic to a point of, in a point of theology is out of vogue. The popular notion today is that we need to give people options and let them pick the truth that works for them. And so many evangelicals have given in to that notion. I had a pastor look at me one time and he says, why on earth do you have to be so dogmatic? Why can't you just give people choices? And this was a pastor of an independent Baptist church. And see, it's even it's affecting Baptist churches, folks. Why can't you give people choices? Why can't you give people options? Why do you got to be so dogmatic? It's an ecumenical notion that urges people to set aside doctrine for harmony. Listen, somebody introduced me one time, Blue, to a friend of theirs, and said, "Here, my, this is my friend Michael Huffman, who's much nicer in person than he is in his preaching. Now, I don't want to be a jerk. I want to be nice, and I'm glad that Bob thought that I was at least night on one level. But by God's grace, I will not set aside truth for harmony. I will not set aside truth for harmony. I will not, by God's grace and by God's power, I will not give over to the whims of society. John Huss said this, Therefore, faithful Christian, Seek the truth, listen to the truth, learn the truth, love the truth, tell the truth, and defend the truth, even to death. We live in a society today that, in, that within the church that encourages people to share, tell us, what, tell us. You know, you get these home Bible studies, you know, and, they, they, and there's nothing wrong with home Bible studies, but you get these, some of these home Bible studies, they sit around this great big circle, 
and, and, the, and, and the dude that's the head of the Bible study reads a verse, and he goes, around the, he, goes around the, he goes around the semicircle and says, Brother Ben says, well, please, tell us, what does that verse mean to you? Somebody asked me that one time, Jana. We've got a pastor here. Tell us, pastor, what does that verse mean to you? To which I said, you shouldn't care what that verse means to me. Because I don't care what that verse means to you. I care what the verse means. That's what I care about. The message of Scripture is not unique to each individual. We need to be concerned with what the Scripture means to God. Not twist and rearrange the Scripture to make it say what we want it to say. And since salvation, as Paul stated, is by hearing the word of God, it is vital that we understand it as an objective truth that is outside of us, not subjective, inside of us. I don't determine what truth is. The Bible does. The Bible is the only source of truth. And listen, folks, we've got a lot of gospel. We've got a lot of preaching out there that, that brings itself off as the gospel but it is the gospel according to man and it is not the gospel according to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first word about the, about the word of God we need to understand is its objectivity. Number two, clarity. Not only objectivity, the truth is outside of us. It's contained in one volume, in one book. I'm not the source of truth. I don't determine truth. The word of God determines the truth, but not only objectivity, but clarity. Folks, listen, the Bible isn't a puzzle. The Bible isn't a puzzle. The Bible isn't a mystery. It's truth. It's truths are precipitous. It means it is clear. It is clear. Its meaning is evident. It is in all essential matters. It speaks with absolute clarity. Now, there are certain things in the Bible that are difficult to understand, no doubt. But we need to be careful not to be like the people that the Apostle Peter, Peter spoke about in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 16 where he said, As also in all his epistles, speaking to them of these things in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also with the Scriptures unto their what? Own destruction. The idea of today is if you can't understand it, make it up yourself. It'll be all right. If you don't understand it, just make it up. It'll be all right. And on secondary matters, folks, we need not to contend fiercely. But the rule of clear, the rule of law, the rule of God is clear on those matters. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 5, on one man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Those are on secondary issues, not primary issues. The church doesn't need to be splitting over the color of the carpet in its worship center or the toilet paper that's used in the restrooms. Or the color that the walls are painted. The main goal, the main gist of Scripture, and the gospel message in particular is clear and unambiguous. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of what? Any private interpretation. You don't have some serendipitous uh, epiphany some serendipitous moment where god just gives you truth for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man but holy men of god spake as they were moved or borne along by the holy ghost 
And that's why Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 16, that all Scripture is theopanoustos. It is the breath of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? In order that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 18, For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8, the prophet says, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God, what? Shall stand forever. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 35, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Listen, church, your experience does not dictate truth. Your experience does not dictate truth. The scripture dictates truth. Your dreams don't dictate truth. It's too much pizza. It's not truth. It's gas. It's not too much truth. Your experience and your dreams don't dictate truth. If your experience contradicts Scripture, then your experience is wrong. If your opinion contradicts Scripture, then your opinion is wrong. We don't listen for the voice of God or wait for a dream or vision. Justin Peter said this, If you want to hear God speak to you, read your Bible. If you want to hear him speak audibly, read it out loud. Because that's how God speaks to his people today. We read the scriptures. That's why the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 that in these last days he has spoken to us by what? His son, not by prophets, not by dreams, not by visions, but he has spoken to us by his son. And the starting point of having a true biblical worldview is a presuppositional approach to the objectivity and clarity of the scripture. Number three, I'm moving along pretty good. Number three, not only objectivity and clarity, but rationality. Rationality. The gospel has its source in the scripture. That is what our text says in verse 3. After that ye heard the word of truth. Therefore the Bible must be upheld as objective and clear. But we also believe, church, that the revelation of Jesus Christ in the scripture is rational. Meaning this, that the Bible makes good sense. Listen, in your interpretation of the Bible, if it doesn't make sense, guess what? Your interpretation is probably flawed. If it doesn't make rational sense, it's probably flawed. You know, when somebody brings in the Scriptures verse that says, Judas hanged himself, go and do thou likewise, that's prob- that interpretation is probably flawed. Because the Bible is a rational book. It makes good sense. The Bible contains no contradictions. The Bible contains no errors and no unsound principles. The Bible is not only infallible, which means that it contains no errors, but the Bible is inerrant, meaning, meaning that it is incapable of error. And anything that contradicts the scriptures, your experience, your dreams, your words, if it contradicts the scripture, it is untrue. But we live in a society that is taught to glorify contradiction, to embrace that which is absurd, to prefer subjectivity, to let their feelings determine what they believe. But we know, folks, from Titus chapter 1, verse 2, that God cannot lie. And we know from 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 13 that God cannot deny himself. And we know from 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 33 that God is not the author of confusion. Therefore, the truth is perfectly self-consistent with who God is. The word of God, therefore, is a precise, unassailable record of truth. The Bible is not mythical. The Bible is not allegorical. 
The details are accurate from the, from the seventh day of creation to the ultimate consummation in the return of Jesus Christ. It contains no deficiencies. It contains no flaws. That's why Jesus says in Luke chapter 16 and verse 17, it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than for one tittle of the law to fail. Scripture should be the starting point and the final test of truth in all of our thinking. Listen, if you try to seek counsel from someone and they go to anywhere but the Word of God, that counsel is false. I know of a person who went to a Christian counselor and the Christian's counselor's best advice to this suffering young person was, think positively. Where is that in the Scripture? Think positively. And this was a Christian counselor. She, her, her credibility is immediately shot. Because she didn't go to the Word of God. She went to her man-made, man-centered thinking. Think positively. This kind of black and white, though, rationality is one of the main reasons why biblical Christianity is intolerated. It's intolerable to people who hate absolute truth. This is, now listen, this is not rationalism. Rationalism is the notion that human reason alone, apart from supernatural revelation, can be a discovery of truth. A rationalist imagines that human reason is both the source and the final test of all truth. And while Christians oppose rationalism, we do not oppose rationality because we believe the Bible is logical. The Bible is coherent. The Bible is intelligible. I like what the Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning in verse number 1. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday. Y'all think I'm long-winded. This guy, this dude preached for six hours. Before the men and the women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were what? Attentive to the book of the law. And so they read the book of the law of God distinctly. Get this, verse, verse 8 of Nehemiah 8.8. 8. So they read in the book of the law distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. You know, you know what Ezra the prophet did? He gave them the word. He gave them the law of God expositionally. He didn't get up and preach some topical ditty. He didn't get up and preach some sermon after Christianettes. He didn't get up and bring in a live band and a live praise and worship band with all, with all the smoke and the lights. He brought the book of the law. He brought the book of the law. But that's boring, Pastor. We can't attract young people with that type of worship. We can attract young people with that type of worship, and we can attract not-so-young people with that type of worship when those young people and those not-so-young people are truly regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God. Because people that are truly regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God don't need all that entertainment. They just need the book of the law. When the people needed to be encouraged... They didn't bring some self-help guru. They brought the book of the law. And the reading of the scripture was aimed at people's cognitive function, their rational mind. 
Listen, folks, when you come to church, you don't come to church and sit brain dead for an hour and a half and listen to a man spit about the Word of God. The Word of God is a, it needs to be pointed at your mental capacity. You need to leave here tired because you've been thinking. That's what Nehemiah did, right? That's what they did in, the, in, in Nehemiah's day. They read the book of the law and gave them the sense of what it meant. They exposited the truth. Because the power of the Word of God, church, lies in its meaning. Get this, the meaning of the Scripture is the Scripture. If you don't have the meaning right, you don't have the Scripture. That is why it is critical that we interpret the Word of God properly. And it is a spiritual process. Every time I sit down and study the Bible, I have one single thing that I pray, Lord, open my understanding that I may see your truth. Because I don't have it within my natural self to be able to understand it. Lord, give me the ability to understand your truth. And even though those truths will require you and I to apply some uh, logical rigors, the Bible isn't irrational. The Bible is clear. And the Bible makes good sense. Number four, we see veracity. Veracity. As believers, our main concern is with truth. But as believers, we are not on a search for truth. We have the truth. We have all of the truth. The Christian life is not about feelings. The Christian life is not about human relationships. It's not about success or earthly blessings. Biblical Christianity is all about truth. God's objective, clear revelation, interpreted rationally, yields divine truth. Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him. How do you get the knowledge of him? Serendipitous? Epiphany? Osmosis? No, you, get the, well, you and I get the knowledge of him as the word of God is given distinctly and is given the sense of what the word of God means. God only wrote one book, folks, and that's the Bible. And in that book, it contains all the truth that, that we are ever intended to have in our Christian life. If you are looking for truth outside of the Word of God, folks, you are looking for truth, as a, as a singer said, in all the wrong places. You're not going to find truth. You may find something that makes you feel good temporarily, but you're not going to find the truth. That's why we believe in Emmanuel. That's why our doctrinal statement says that we believe in sola scriptura, that scripture alone is the final authority for faith and practice. We do not need to consult a moral, spiritual, or psychological truth. Scripture is not only holy truth, but it is the standard of which all other truths are measured. Okay? Scripture is not only holy truth, but scripture is the standard by which all other truth claims are measured. Scripture is not a source of truth. Scripture is the source of truth. Scripture does not contain the truth. Scripture is the truth. And Scripture is not changed or nullified by changing world opinions or political correctness. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 25, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which the gospel is preached unto you. We must adapt our understanding to the word of God, not adapt the word of God to our understanding. Peter, Paul says, you trusted after you heard the word of truth. And that word of truth is objective. That word of truth is rational. That word of truth is not subjective. 
That word of truth is, has veracity. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 20, Oh, Timothy, keep that which is committed to that trust. Now, good what he says. Listen, you see what Paul said to the bank part of that verse? He's not talking about cursing. He's talking about wasting your time with man-made philosophy. Avoid profane and vain babblings. What does Paul call man-made philosophy? Babblings. Vain babblings. Empty babblings. He said, you avoid that. You avoid that. And Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, and every Christian should take heed of this. Study. Study. Study to show thyself approved unto God. And the word, and the, the, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The word rightly divide there means to cut straight. To cut straight. The objective, clear, rational, interpreted revelation of God yields truth. And that truth is the substance of our message. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16, But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as does a cancer of whom Hymenaeus and Philistus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of many. Paul didn't mind naming names, did he? He was concerned more about truth than he was political correctness. And those who would assault the truth need to be identified and answered. I don't tell you about Joel Osteen because I don't like smiling Joel. I tell you about Joel Osteen because he's a false teacher and he must be named and answered. I don't tell you about Joyce Meyer because I don't like Joyce. Joyce Meyer is a false teacher and must be identified and answered. I don't tell you about Sarah Young and her book, Jesus Calling, because I don't like Sarah. I call on Sarah Young because she's a false teacher and she must be notified. She must be called out and answered. I don't talk about Jesse Duplantis because I don't like Jesse. He's probably a winsome guy, but he's a false teacher. I don't talk about Kenneth Hagin and Kenneth Copeland because I don't like them. They are false teachers that must be identified and named. Paul didn't mind doing it, and neither should we. This mamby-pamby theology that Christians have nowadays, that spineless theology that's not willing to rock the boat for truth. And like I said, folks, we're not to go around trying to be jerks, but listen, we need to stick by the truth and stand for the truth because this is all the truth we've got. We cannot have faith. Without the truth. Remove truth from the equation and you overthrow faith. Romans chapter 6 verse 17. But God be thanks that ye were the servants of sin. Ye what? Were. Were the servants of sin. But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. John MacArthur said this. Truth is everything to a Christian. That is why we are called to refute error. Defend the truth and proclaim Scripture as the supreme truth against every lie propagated by the world. Number five, and I'm done. Authority. Authority. Since we believe that the Scripture is truth, then it follows that the Scripture has authority. And since it is authoritative, it must be proclaimed with authority. When the Word of God speaks, folks, that is the end of the discussion. 1 Peter chapter 1 and ver- chapter 4 and verse 11. If any man speak, let him speak what? 
the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as, as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. To say that we speak for God, but to use any other source except the word of God, is to depend on something else other than something that is authoritative. When we speak for God, using the authoritative word of God, listen, church, you and I speak with the full weight of God's authority. If you say that the Bible is authoritative, then you must submit to its authority. The Bible is not just a book of ideas that is to be thrown into a public discussion to be accepted or rejected. The Bible is God's authoritative book. It is God's authoritative word. And when the Bible speaks, that's the end of it. That's the end of it. It is not open for discussion. It is not open for our ideas. When the word of God speaks, that's it. The word of God's truth is given at the exclusion of all other opinions. When you got smiling, Joel goes on Larry King Live and is given some and has asked some theological questions about Larry King Live, and the best thing he can give is, "Well, I don't know. I don't know." God give us people who know the truth and who will defend the truth, who will stand for the truth. And will be like Athanasius and Polycarp and Wycliffe and Luther and Calvin. And will stand from the housetops and defend and declare this is the word of God. And it is truth. It is authoritative. It is objective. It is truth. It is clear. It is rational. It's very unpopular to say today that you are entitled to your own opinion. That you're not entitled to your own opinion. Our postmodern world says that everybody's, everybody's ideas should have equal weight. And believers have a clear choice. Either we go along with the spirit of the age and downplay the authority of Scripture or accept the Scripture and set it as the authority and ourselves against the rest of the world. But there are those who are willing to drop the authority of Scripture for the possibility of peace. This is spiritual warfare, not a tea party. A.W. Tozer said that the church is not a battleground. It's not a playground. It is a battleground. Right? The church is not a playground. It is a battleground. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience to Christ. This is spiritual war. John MacArthur said, but the church has become so effeminate and powerless these days that most evangelicals seem to think such a militant stance against error is inappropriate and too severe. Christians have virtually surrendered the battle for truth. And as a result, the evangelical community has become a place where people can advocate virtually anything or promote almost any doctrine. And the one thing no one is permitted to say is that someone else is wrong. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, these things, talking about the Word of God, these things what? Command. Command the pitch. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18, verse 15, but speaking the truth in what? Love. Don't forget that. It is vital that we uphold God's Word as the only source of objective, clear, rational, truthful authority. Because Paul says in our text, in whom ye also believed after ye heard the Word of truth.
we have the truth, we have all the truth. God's people need to uphold the truth. Thank you for listening to Divine Truth Podcast. We pray that the Word of God has been a spiritual blessing to your soul. For more information about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ebcmineral.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Our Lord's Day services are 10 and 11 a.m. as well as 6.30 p.m. We also have a Wednesday service at 6.30 p.m. We here at Emmanuel Baptist Church pray that the message of God's divine truth would always go from the cross, through the church, to the world, until Christ come. God bless you.